Bad in the boondocks Bad in the boondocks People put down But what you're supposed to do In a small town Bad in the boondocks Bad in the boondocks Lord have mercy Can't be Bad in the boondocks Hey, and welcome to Bad in the Boom Docs. As always, I'm your host, Stan. And I'm Giroux. Giroux who? <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, okay. So, if anybody hears this, might hear a little bit of tired sounding voices or minds, because this is not the first time we're recording this. This is like our third time recording, actually. Exactly. <laughs> but we're here. Yo, we're and we're gonna- here for you, the audience. But before we get started, I need a few things from y'all. First off, I need you to go to Facebook page. Go to Facebook. Look up Bad in the Boondocks. We're there. I need you to like that page. But more importantly, we got some very faithful listeners. Jennifer. But y'all, all y'all do is listen, and I don't hear nothing else. Uh, no comments. Yeah, you nothing. Need to, you need to start start some conversation. Lord knows, I know you can talk. So talk on the internet with us. Start something up. Yeah. Also, anybody that's in the radio business, <clears throat> I think we know who you are. Yep. Please it's time you us. can mention you us. Can you can do a little something, something for us. We're getting some new gear in, some merchandise. You might get a little something coming your way if you do. Just saying, not a bribe. Just saying. Yeah. Also, you can check out www.badintheboondocks.net, our website. But also, just subscribe, rate, yep. and review. Find us on like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Podbean. I think um, Stitcher, Spotify, Cast Fox, mm-hmm. Radio Public, Pod Must. Yeah, anywhere. Yeah, anywhere basically, you get it. Apple Podcast. Or hey, where you're listening to us right now. <laughs> yeah. All right, so today's story is not going to be a huge gory fest, gore fest, all that stuff like I usually do. Yeah. We're actually going to do one together. And. It is still interesting that it was the last person that got had a public execution. So I'm just going to get right into it. And it's today we're going to talk about Rainy Bethia. All right. And Rainy Bethia was the last person to be publicly executed in the United States. He was an African-American male who was about 26 years old, and he confessed to the rape and the murder of a 70-year-old white woman named, and I might butcher this name. You know I always got some weird ones. you always get it wrong. Lichia Edwards. Lichia Edwards. Mm -hmm. All right. Chia. Just kidding. And he was publicly hanged in Owensboro, Kentucky, after being convicted of her rape. Mistakes in executing the hanging and the surrounding media circus contributed to the end of public executions in the United States. Okay. Which amazed me anyway, because I'm telling you, even like for his execution, it was like 
20,000 people were there to witness it. Yeah, that's a lot of people. It, what the crap? Or, oh, what's going on? <laughs> Our lights are cutting off and everything. It's, it's a ghost. Far. It's rainy. It's rainy. Okay. <laughs> we got some problems. The light, all the lights cut off. Well, we're not restarting again. <laughs> no. All right. I know who it's from. It's from that um, dog. Um, he was born in Roanoke, Virginia. Um, but Theo was orphaned at a young age after the death of his mother in 1919 and his father in 1926. Little is known of his time before he arrived in Owens, Owensboro in 1933. He worked for the Rutherford family and lived in their basement for about a year. He then moved to a cabin behind the house of Emmett Wells. He worked as a laborer and rented a room from Mrs. Charles Brown. He also attended a Baptist church. His first brush with the law was in 1935 when he was charged with breach of the peace for which he was fined $20. And I did look this up and $20 back then in 1935 would be about $400 today. Dang. Then in April of the same year, he stole two purses from the Vogue beauty shop. Vogue, Vogue, Vogue. Uh, I love Madonna. Since the value of the purses exceeded $25, he was convicted of a felony, grand larceny, and sentenced to a year in the Kentucky State Penitentiary at Eddyville. He arrived there on June 1st, 1935. His physical showed him to be a whole five foot, four, and three-eighths <laughs> inches. Really? Yes, tall. And to weigh... A hundred and twenty pounds. Wow. On returning to Owensboro, he continued to work as a laborer and was paid about $7 per week. Okay. Less than a month later, he was arrested again, this time for dwelling housebreaking. On January 6, 1936, this charge was amended to drunk and disorderly. He was unable to pay the $100 fine and remained incarcerated at the Davies County Jail until April 18th. Under Kentucky law, the parole board should have been notified of his arrest because a standard condition of parole was that the parolee commit no more crimes. Duh. Of course. Had the Kentucky Parole Board revoked his parole, he would have returned to prison and would not have committed the serious crimes which led to his hanging. On December 1st, 1935, he was paroled. Um, during the early morning of June 7th, 1936, an intoxicated Bethia gained access to Edwards by climbing onto the roof of an outbuilding next door. From there, he jumped onto the roof of the servants' quarters of Emmett Wells' house and then walked down a wooded walkway. He climbed over the kitchen roof to Edwards' bedroom window. After removing a screen from her window, he entered the room, waking her. Bethia then strangled Edwards and violently raped her. 
after she was unconscious, he searched for valuables and stole several of her rings. In the process, he removed his own black celluloid prison ring, but failed to retrieve it. He left the bedroom and hid stolen jewels in a barn not far from the house. The crime was discovered late that morning after the Smith family noticed they had not heard Edwards stirring in her room. They feared she might have been ill and knocked on the door of her room, attempting to rouse her. Finding the door locked with a skeleton key from outside, they contacted a neighbor, Robert Richardson, hoping he could help. Richardson managed to knock the key free, but another skeleton key would not unlock the door. Smith then obtained a ladder and climbed into the room through the transom over the door. It was then that they discovered Edwards dead. The Smiths alerted Dr. George Barr while he was attending a service at the local United Methodist Church. Dr. Barr realized there was little he could do and summoned the local coroner. Delbert Glenn, who also attended the same church. The Smiths also called the Owensboro police. Officers found the room was otherwise tidy, but there were muddy footprints everywhere. Coroner Glenn also found a celluloid prison ring, which Bethia, in his drunken state, had inadvertently left behind in the room. Throughout the next four days, the police searched for the murderer. By late Sunday afternoon, the police already suspected Rainy Bethia after several residents of Owensboro stated that they had previously seen Bethia wearing the ring. Since Bethia had a criminal record, the police were able to use what was then a new identification technique, fingerprints, to establish that Bethia had recently touched items in the bedroom. And that just shows how primitive it was, you exactly. know, way back. How fingerprints were a new thing. Yeah. <clears throat> on the Wednesday, Bert Red Figgins was working on the bank of the Ohio River when he observed Bethia lying under some bushes. Figgins asked Bethia what he was doing, and Bethia responded he was just cooling off. Figgins then reported, I love the name Figgins, <laughs> then reported this sighting to his supervisor, Will Faith, and asked him to call the police. By the time Faith had returned to the spot on the riverbank, Bethia had moved to the nearby Coles Grocery. Faith followed him and then found a policeman in the drugstore. But when they searched for Bethia, he again eluded capture. Later that afternoon, Bethia was again spotted. This time, he was cornered on the riverbank after he tried to board a barge. When police officers questioned him, he denied that he was Bethia, claiming his name was James Smith. Original. Yeah, exactly. The police played along with the fabricated name, fearing a mob would develop if residents were to learn that the murderer had been captured. After his arrest, Bethia was identified by a scar on the left side of his head. The judge of the Davies County Circuit Court 
ordered the sheriff to transport Bethia to the Jefferson County Jail in Louisville, fearing a lynch mob. While being transferred, Bethia made his first confession, admitting that he had strangled and raped Edwards. He said that he did not know whether she was alive at the time of the rape. This was significant because the prosecutor had to prove that the victim was alive in order to establish the elements of rape. In 1936, it was not illegal under Kentucky law to have intercourse with a corpse. Are you serious? Well, it shouldn't have to be a law for you not to have sex with the corpse. Oh, I was thinking that would have been a good year for you to have been alive. Well, shut your mouth. Bethia also lamented the fact that he had made a stupid mistake by leaving his ring at the crime scene. Duh. Stupid mistake was maybe going in and breaking in to begin with. Well, that's true, but... Why yeah. did he have to take off his ring? That's I don't understand that. Sure. I'm like, sure. oh my gosh, let me remove my ring so I don't what? I don't know. Get it snagged or something? So it doesn't fall off or something. I don't know. <laughs> Once incarcerated at the Jefferson County Jail in Louisville, <clears throat> Bethia made a second confession, this time before Robert M. Morton, a notary public. Notary public. Yeah, what is that? Okay, a notary public is somebody that signs, like makes it official. If okay. you go to a notary public and get it stamped. Okay. Some legal documents need to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and George H. Coper, a reporter um, for the Courier Journal. I think that's right. Officials requested the presence of the notary, the notary and the reporter anticipating that Bethia or someone else might accuse him of coercing his confession. Coercing. <laughs> On June 12th. <laughs> was that right? Coercing? Yeah. Coercing. What is it? Coercing. I thought it was coercing. <laughs> <laughs> on June 12th, Bethia made a third confession. Wow, he is one confessing mug. I mean, he keeps on confessing. Yeah, I know. Bethia made a third confession and told the captain of the guards where he had hidden the jury. Oh, I hope he didn't swallow it. Exactly. <laughs> Owensboro police searched a barn in Owensboro and found the jury just where Bethia said he had left it. Under Kentucky law, the grand jury could not convene until June 22nd, and the prosecutor decided to charge Bethia solely with the rape. Um, the reason was, under the Kentucky law, if a punishment of death was given for murder and robbery, it would to be carried out by electrocution in the state penitentiary at, Eddie's, at Eddieville. However, rape cannot be punished no, by... No, it could be. Oh, rape could be punished by public hanging in the county seat where the crime occurred. Oh, my gosh. Right. So, see, if it wasn't that, it had to be electrocution. So, they wanted him they to wanted get it, They wanted it to be in the in county. Public. Yeah. Wow. To avoid a potential legal dilemma as to whether Bethia would be hanged or electrocuted... The prosecutor elected to charge Bethia only with the crime of rape. So, Bethia was never charged with the remaining crimes of murder, robbery, burglary, or theft. After only an hour and 45 minutes, 
the grand jury returned an indictment charging Bethia with rape. On June 25th, officers returned Bethia to Owensboro for the trial. Bethia was unhelpful to his state-appointed attorneys, and they were William L. Wilson, William W. Bill Kirtley, and Carol Byron, and C.W. Wells, Jr. Well, he had a lot. Yeah. They gave you a lot of state appointment free yeah, they did, attorneys they? back then. Dang. He said that a Clyde Maddox would provide an alibi, but on interviewing Maddox, Maddox claimed he did not even know Bethia. In the end, they subpoenaed four witnesses, Maddox, Lad Mormon, Willie Johnson, and that Bethia had implicated as an accomplice in his second confession, and Alan McDaniel. Only the first three were served because the sheriff's office could not find a person named Alan McDaniel. Okay. On the night before the trial, Bethia announced to his lawyers that he wanted to plead guilty, and he did so the next day at the start of the trial. The prosecutor, however, still presented the state's case to the jury, since the jury would decide his sentence and since the prosecutor was asking for the death penalty. The first 12 of 111 people called for the jury were selected. At the time, only white men served on American jurors. During his opening statement, the Commonwealth's attorney, Herman Burkhead, said, this is one of the most dastardly, beastly, cowardly crimes ever committed in Davids County. <laughs> That's just what he sounded like. So, rape is worse than murder? It's dastardly. <laughs> rape is bad, though. But it's just dastardly. <laughs> Justice demands, and the Commonwealth will ask and expect a verdict on the death penalty by hanging. After questioning 21 witnesses... The prosecution closed its case in chief. The Hold on. What? But he broke into the woman's house. You know, broke yeah. into, Okay. Do you really think there were 21 witnesses? That's a lot of witnesses. I'm, I'm at sure. back in the 30s. I don't think so, but okay, who knows? On. The defense did not call any witnesses nor cross-examine the witnesses who testified for the prosecution. After a closing statement by the prosecutor, the judge instructed the jury that since Bethia had pled guilty, their only task was to fix his punishment. Wait, I think it was fix his punishment. <laughs> At. Is this also. A, yes. Okay. Fix his punishment. At confinement in the penitentiary. For not less than 10 years, nor more than 20 years, or at death. After only four and a half minutes of deliberation, the jury returned with the sentence, death by hanging. Bethia was then quickly removed from the courthouse and returned to the Jefferson County Jail. Four and a half minutes. Exactly. Wow. Well, back in Louisville, Bethia acquired five new black lawyers. Charles Eubank Tucker, Stephen A. Burnley, Charles W. Anderson, Jr., Harry E. Bonaparte, and R. Everett Ray. They worked without pay to challenge the sentence, 
something they saw as their ethical duty for the indigent defendant. On July 10th, they filed a motion for a new trial. The judge summarily denied this on the grounds that under Section 273 of the Kentucky Code of Practice in Criminal Cases, a motion for a new trial had to have been received before the end of the court's term, which had ended on July the 4th. They then attempted to appeal to the Kentucky Court of Appeals, which was also not in session. On July 29th, Justice Gus Thomas returned to Frankfort, Kentucky, where he heard the motion orally. Justice Thomas refused to permit the appeal to be fired, filed on the grounds that the trial court record was incomplete, which only included the judge's ruling, although it may seem that Bathia's lawyers were incompetent. They knew the appeal would be denied, and this was only a formality in order to exhaust states' court remedies before they filed a petition for writ of habeas corpus. Habeas corpus in a federal court. What what is that? It's something you can file. Okay. To get basically off. okay. Well, in a federal <clears throat> court. Once Justice Thomas denied the motion to file a belated appeal, Bethia's attorneys filed a petition for writ of habeas corpus in the U.S. District Court for the Western District of Kentucky at Louisville. A hearing was held on August 5th at the Federal Building in Louisville before United States District Judge Elwood Hamilton. During the hearing, Bethia claimed that he had not wanted to plead guilty but had been forced to by his lawyers, and that he had wanted to subpoena three witnesses to testify on his behalf, but the lawyers had not also not done this. Bethia also claimed that his five confessions had been made under duress, and that when he signed one of them, he did not know what he was signing. The Commonwealth brought several witnesses to refute these claims. Judge Hamilton denied the petition on the grounds of habeas corpus and ruled that the hanging could proceed. He's, it can proceed. <laughs> Although the crime was infamous in the surrounding areas, it came to nationwide attention due to one fact. What was that? The sheriff of Davies County was a woman. Oh, whoa, 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 woman. Oh. <laughs> Florence Tom Thompson had became sheriff on April 13, 1936, after her husband, Everett, who was elected sheriff in 1933, unexpectedly died of pneumonia on April 10th of 1936. Um, as sheriff of the county, it was her duty to hang Bethia. Among the hundreds of letters that Sheriff Thompson received after it came to public attention, she would perform the hanging was one from Arthur L. Hash, a former Louisville police officer who offered his services free of charge to perform the execution. Thompson quickly decided to accept this offer. He only asked that she not make his name public, so he wrote her and he offered that he would actually be the one to push the button that dropped the doors. Yes. Right, so she wouldn't have to, but... 
he didn't want his name. So nobody else knew this. Everybody thought that she was going to be doing this. Yeah. Right. Okay. God. I was just making sure you everybody wanted, wanted them dead. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying this was, I mean, it was, everybody was so, it was such a stir because she was a female yeah. sheriff and she'd be hanging somebody because yeah. it's her job to push the button. Yeah. Thompson also received a letter from the chief deputy United States Marshal for the District of Indiana telling her of a farmer from Epworth, Illinois, named G. Phil Hanna, who had assisted with hangings across the country. Bethia's hanging would be the seventh. It's seventh. 70th. 70th. I didn't know how to pronounce that. 70th. I was like 70th. 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 I thought it was 70th. 70th. Which Hannah had supervised. He himself never pulled the trigger that released the trap door, and the only thing he asked for in return was the weapon use in the crime. Hannah developed his interest in the art of hanging after he witnessed the botched execution of Fred Behem at Mixclinsboro, Illinois. <laughs> Is that correct? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, in 1896. <laughs> 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 Quit, Bob. <laughs> Okay, go whatever you laugh makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll swear I am. Why don't I just read the last sentence again? <laughs> That's a good I, idea. Because I sort of forgot. <laughs> Hannah. Hannah developed his interest in the art of hanging after he witnessed the botched execution of Fred Behem at McCleansboro, Illinois, in 1896, which have resulted in the condemned man suffering greatly. <laughs> okay, I'm quit. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm finished. Oh my god. Are you done? I'm done. Okay, I'm done. As, as such, Hannah saw it as his main task to provide whatever assistance he could to ensure a quick, painless death. I'm sure that you hanging there with the rope around your well, neck no, is quite we, painless. Well, not well oh, never mind, because it drops and then it pulls your neck your out. Breaks your, yeah. yeah, so that wouldn't hurt at all, I don't think. No, I think it would kind of hurt a little bit. I oh, wow, for half look, a second. Yeah, but you also pooped yourself and stuff. I meant for half it's a very second, though, I mean, you don't feel nothing hard. Okay, Hannah did not always succeed in this endeavor. During the hanging of James Johnson on March 26, 1920, the rope broke. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Johnson fell to the ground and was severely injured. Oh, my gosh. That would suck. That would suck the rope. I wonder if they were really large. <laughs> like the rope. Oh, my gosh. For real. I know. I meant. <laughs> Hannah, that would really suck. That would, for real. Well, what if they got stuck in the trap door because they that were would, so big? Oh, wow. That then they would be awful. just sit there with the rub their Exactly. Yeah, I'm not that. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah had to descend the steps 
carrying the injured Johnson back to a scaffold and proceed with his execution. On August 6th, the governor of Kentucky, Albert Chandler, signed Bethia's execution warrant and set the execution for sunrise on August the 14th. However, Sheriff Thompson requested the governor to issue a revised death warrant because the original warrant specified that the hanging would take place in the courthouse yard, where the county, a significant expense, had recently planted new shrubs and flowers. How nice of them. Chandler was out of state. So Lieutenant Governor Keene Johnson signed a second death warrant, moving the location of the hanging from the courthouse yard to an empty lot near the county garage. Rainy Bethia's last meal consisted of fried chicken, pork chops, and mashed taters, pickled cucumbers. That sounds disgusting. Yum. Cornbread. Um, lemon pie and ice cream. What a meal! That was a large meal. He was going to poop a lot during that. Exactly. Which he ate at four p.m. on August thirteenth in Louisville. Louisville. Whatever. Yep. (laughs) At about one a.m., Davis County deputy sheriffs transported Bethia from Louisville to Owensboro. At the jail, Hannah visited Bethia and instructed him to stand on the X that would be marked on the trap door. That's at 1 a.m. It was estimated that a crowd of 20,000 people gathered to watch the execution, with thousands coming from out of town. Hash arrived drunk at the site, (laughs) wearing a white suit with a white Panama hat. At the time, no one but he and Thompson knew that he would be the one pulling the trigger. And that's too late, man. I'd be done to bed at 9.30. Yeah, I know. So I'm in bed at 8. Yeah. It's like about time for me to be going to bed. <laughs> but he left the Davis County Jail at 5.21 a.m. Jesus Christ. And walked with two deputies to the scaffold. Within two minutes, he was at the base of the scaffold, removing his shoes. He put on a new pair of socks. Because you want to die with the new exactly. pair of socks. Exactly. That's your number one priority. He ascended the steps and stood on the large X as instructed. He made no final statements to the waiting crowd. After making his final confession to Father Lammers of the Cathedral of the Assumption Church in Louisville, the black hood was placed over his head and three large straps placed around his ankles, thighs, arms, and chest. Hannah placed the noose around his neck, adjusted it, and then signaled to Hash to pull the trigger. Instead, Hash, who was quite drunk, did nothing. Hannah then shouted at Hash, Do it! And a deputy leaned onto the trigger, which sprung the trapdoor. Oh, my gosh. So he accidentally leaned onto it. And then- right, because the other man was so drunk, he couldn't even, he, oh he was God. like passed out. Wow. Throughout all of this, the crowd was hushed. 20,000 people, no sound. Yeah. 
Bethia fell eight feet and his neck was instantly broken. About 14 minutes later, two doctors confirmed Bethia was dead. After the news was removed, his body was taken to Andrew and Wheatley Funeral Home. He had wanted his body sent to his sister in South Carolina. Instead, he was buried in a pauper's grave at the Elmwood Cemetery in Owensboro. Many new newspapers, having spent considerably sums of money to cover the first execution of a man by a woman, were disappointed and took liberties with their reporting, describing it as a Roman holiday. What? Yeah, I'm not quite sure what that is, but I have no whatever. idea. Whatever. Falsely reporting that the crowd rushed the gallows to claim souvenirs. Some even falsely reporting Thompson fainted at the base of the scaffold. Because after you were hanged, yeah. people could run up and gather anything that fell. You they serious? could steal it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So like they could steal your clothes off of you, anything. That you had on. Afterwards, Hannah complained that Hash should not have been allowed to perform the execution in his state. He said it was the worst display he experienced in the 70 hangings he had supervised. The Kentucky General Assembly met in biennial sessions. Although the media circus surrounding the Bethia execution embarrassed the Kentucky legislature, it was powerless to amend the law until the next session in 1938. Meanwhile, two other men were hanged for rape in Kentucky, John Pete, Montjoy, and Harold Van Venison. Like, dear me, Venison. Yeah. But the trial judges of both of those cases ordered that the hangings be conducted privately. Montjoy, aged 23, was privately hanged in Covington on December 17th of 1937. On January 17, 1938, Kentucky, Senator William R. Atkinson of the 38th Senatorial District in Louisville introduced Senate Bill 69, called for the repeal the requirement from Section 1137 that death sentences for the crime of rape be conducted by hanging in the county seat where the crime was committed. What? Okay. They wanted to repeal that you had to hang the person Wait. in the county seat where the crime was committed. Oh, okay. That makes okay. sense. Um, that was just a lot of yeah, legal mumbo-jumbo. weird yes, mumbo-jumbo crap. Representative Charles W. Anderson, Jr., one of the attorneys who assisted Bethia in his post-conviction relief motions, promoted the bill in the House of Representatives. After both houses approved the bill on March 12, 1938, Governor Albert B. Chandler signed it into law and it became effective on May 30, 1938. Chandler later expressed regret at having approved the repeal, claiming, Our streets are no longer safe. The last person to be legally hanged in Kentucky was Harold Van Venison, a 33-year-old black singer who was privately hanged in Covington on June 3, 1938. 
Van Venison was hanged on June 3rd, 1938, after the rape law had actually been repealed. So it was saying that, you you know, they were taking that away where it was more serious to rape than murder. Yeah. Okay. Governor Chandler signed no death warrant in this case, and for this reason, the hanging was conducted in violation of Section 297 of the Kentucky Code of Criminal Practice. Before the hanging, a legal question arose as to whether Van Venison should hang or be electrocuted, since the rape law requiring hanging had been repealed effective May 30th, 1938. Just a quick question. Would you rather be hung or electrocuted? Oh, definitely hanged. Really? Of course. Electrocution? You it's don't electric. just die instantly. But I love electric slide. It's electric. Whatever. <laughs> Okay, well, would you rather... I would rather be electrocuted. Would you... Why? Are you serious? Okay, if you're asking electrocuted or be injected? Being injected? Electrocuted because medicines and drugs don't work on me. Oh, for you? Oh, my God. You wouldn't die. And I would just be be in so much pain. You would be so suffering. Me, I... Yo, you'd I'd be gone before they I'd pass out before they even started because I'd be sick. You'd be complaining your heart was dying before they even did anything. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. All right. Let's I'd die from up. a heart attack before that. Attorney General Hubert Meredith issued a formal legal opinion stating that since the offense was as well as, well as the conviction had occurred prior to the repeal date, Van Finnison should hang. Since section 1137 through 10 of the Kentucky s- statutes stated that the penalty to be imposed would be the penalty available and effect at the time the offense was committed. And that's what we got for y'all. A little bit of history, a little bit of murder, a little bit of hanging executions. There's some stupid. Legal document. Like legal crap. I don't even know. I can tell you hated the legal. Oh my gosh, man. I hated reading that. Hope y'all like this extra bonus episode. Yeah. Come on, people. Start making a little bit of conversation. Yeah, you can even contact us on our website. Well, Lord, they won't even make a conversation on Facebook. They ain't going to contact us. Well, Facebook is so easy. You just look up Bad in the Boondocks and just... And even if it's illegal... Just check out Just check out our Facebook page. Even if it's against your rules in the radio publishing, you could accidentally cough and be like, Bad in the Boondocks on the radio station. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> for real, for real. For real, real. All right. All well, right, that's, that's all we all got. We got. Until next time, I have been Stan... And I'm Drew, and see See you next time. See ya, see ya.